Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people, and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. Uh, Good morning, Celebration Church. You can all take your seats. Great to be here uh, with you all Uh, once again. Now, Mark, thank you for sharing around that time of giving. Very, very encouraging word. And I was just looking, where are you? Where is he? Oh, wait, in the sound. I was just looking at your attire. I thought, yes, I've dressed well. I've brought the beard. I brought the flanny. I brought the boots. Except I was looking at your boots and they look like they've been actually used for work as opposed to mine and everyone else on the front row. So uh, a little bit to learn from there. Hey, a real encouragement to be with you this morning as is uh, the role of every preacher. I'm here to make you happy. Uh, That's my job today, as I've just been told. Uh, We were at dinner last night at the Japanese restaurant. There was a sign uh, up in there. It said, full stomach something, something. It was basically saying if you've got a full stomach, you've got to be happy, right? And I'll tell you, we were happy eating there last night. But there is nothing like being in the house of God. And I have been in the house of God at times where my stomach has been empty, but when your heart is full, that is when you overflow with the happiness that God has for you. And I'm telling you, you may have walked in, Joel said it, Pastor Joel said it, you may have walked in carrying something that God does not intend for you to carry today. Well, there is no reason why you should walk out of those doors the same way you walked in. Church, we don't come to a place called church. We are the church. We come to a church service, and in a church service, it is a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. You can worship anywhere during the week. You can listen to the Word of God anywhere in the week, but there's only one place when we can do it together. And when the saints gather together to lift up the name of Jesus, it is a taste of heaven. And I'm telling you, in heaven, there is no sickness or death. There is no fear or doubt. There is no shame or guilt. And so it's not just a, yeah, yeah, say good things, preacher. No, this is the Word of God, and we should all take that on today. In one way or another, we should walk out of here a little bit different to the way we walked in. A little bit more alive in His presence. Amen? So good. All uh, Lifehouse Church is a church that I'm honoured to pastor in Coffs and in several other locations, and they all send their love to your Celebration Church. We love your pastors, Benaya and Charlie. are so grateful to be uh, connected with them. And In fact, as I was praying this week uh, for your church and for this time that we would be sharing together, uh, I always do. God, is there a, a word, a prophetic word that you would have for uh, anyone in the room that uh, I would be drawn to or anything? I'm praying for that. And I really felt like God gave me a very clear word for you, Benaiah and Charlie. And it was so simple. And it's two words, and those words are press on. And the moment I heard those words in my spirit, when I say heard, it was just like they weren't there and then they were there. Uh, I was like, I know those words. Those words, they mean something to me. And, and instantly I, I went, oh, they come from, I know they're somewhere in the word. And that's when I turned to one of my favorite passages or a passage that uh, is really well known. It's Philippians chapter 3. Now, I believe that this is God's word for you guys today. It says, uh, Paul's talking, he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved all of these things, and uh, Benaiah, I love that you lead with a humble spirit always. In every interaction that I've had with you, that's been my experience. He says, I haven't already reached perfection, but I press on. 
something so great about hearing those words. It's like, I know that there is something more that God's called me to. There is something more that God's called uh, generation, celebration church to. And God is speaking to you today, say, press on to possess that perfection with, with which Christ first possessed you. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Again, he says it, I press on. To reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. And I just believe that that is what God is saying to you guys and to the church today. Don't accept things the way they are. God has not left you on this earth. You're already his child. He could take you home. He hasn't left you here to leave things the way they are in your community. And God's saying, hey, no, I've put you here to press on to what still lies ahead. So that's encouragement for you guys personally. And I also believe if you would allow me to just speak that over your church that you lead this morning. Uh, Noah, I asked uh, Mark what your name was, Noah. Uh, I I don't remember if we met last time, but just a word of encouragement for you. Uh, It's so evident to me that God has put a leadership calling on your life. He's given you a humble spirit and a humble spirit is one that he can raise up. Don't don't say, don't stop... uh, Don't resist God raising you up. Don't think, no, no, no. Think, yes, yes, yes. If the green light is there, if the door is open, walk through it. He'll make the way. Just a great encouragement for you this morning. Someone encourage him. Are you married? Are you dating? Oh, okay. Okay. Is she here? No. Is she at another church? Because oh, I was going to say, that's acceptable. You get them from others and you bring them back to yours. It's just how, how it works in the Christian tribes. That's uh, how we keep the bloodlines pure. Anyway, okay, here we go. When I look over my own life, one of the things that I am the most grateful for is growing up in an, in an environment like this one. I, I was uh, started uh, attending the church that I now senior pastor when I was 10 years old. And in that environment, it was just so uplifting like it is. I see these young guys sitting across the front today. That was the environment I grew up in and I'm so grateful for it. It was an environment where I was constantly told that God has a good plan for my life. So every young person in this room today, and when you say the term young, that's up to you whether you adopt it for your own life or not. So every young person in the room today, you need to know God has a good plan for your life. Every conference I ever went to, bar none, always included a message that involved the scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. If you're a Pentecostal or you grew up that way and you don't know this scripture, you mustn't have gone to any of the same camps I did. Jeremiah 29, 11, the prophet says, For I know the plans, speaking on behalf of God, that I have for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. There's a theme that runs through the word of God and that is that he has plans for you and they are good. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For you are God's masterpiece. That in and of itself is a word for some of you today. It's a reminder. You are his masterpiece. He created everything, but he only chose to call one element of his creation his masterpiece, and that's you today. 
He goes on to say, we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. One of the things that I think that I would like to change about my childhood is a need to connect good things to big things. I don't know where that narrative came in, but somewhere along the way, my thinking meant good meant big. So instead of saying, for I know the plans that I have for you, they are big plans. No, friends, they're just good plans. And a good plan can include just doing the same consistent thing every day in order to keep walking the path and journey that he has for you. Don't put your focus on the big, put your focus on the good and know that God has got those plans for you. God has good plans for every single person in the room. It's a narrative of faith that I grew up with. I heard it so many times, I believed it. And so when you believe that God has a good plan for you, what is the most obvious question you're going to ask of God? You're going to say, well, God, I believe it. I believe you have a good plan for me. And then you're going to say, God, what's your good plan for me? It's the right question. In fact, based on my 20 years of being in an employed ministry role, I would say that this is on God's frequently asked questions list. If you go to God's God's webpage, it's right there. You can just click on it. Frequently asked questions, God, what's your plan for me? Just show of hands, who's ever asked God what your plan for my life is? Yeah, yeah. Oh, good, good. I hope that's the same response at the end. I don't know. When I ask for something, there'll be something. We'll respond that same. Everyone has asked, God, what's your good plan for me? It's a great question. It makes total sense. God's got a good plan. I want to know what it is. Now, it's healthy to walk in that desire. But even as I was growing up, I remember times when I would have a decision in front of me and I would almost be not paralyzed but fearful of making the wrong choice because I didn't want to miss the tight rope of God's plan for me. What if I make a decision and I step out of God's will? What if I go this way and he intended me to go? What if I marry this girl but he wanted me to marry that one? Noah's thinking about that right now. I'm sorry, Noah. Is your girlfriend's mum here? Oh, good. (laughs) We're all in trouble. God's plan and will for us is supposed to be a blessing to our world, not a burden to our world. And so if you've ever felt that way, God, I want to know your plan for me, then I can confidently say before you leave here this morning, God's word is going to reveal a framework for you. It's going to be so encouraging for young people and right through in any age where God does reveal his plan and he's going to fill you with a great sense of confidence for your own future. Now, recently I was in a conversation with a mentor of mine. His name's Pastor Jack Haynes, pastors a church up in Penrith. And, and, uh, and, and the conversation came up about knowing God's plan. I was talking about, to him about something in our church world. And I was maybe just, oh, I just want to know God's plan. And, and in response, Jack said, you know, Lottie, most people I've found, he says this to me, he says, most people I've found spend so much of their life asking God what is his plan for them. I want to make sure I get it right. So they asked this. I said, Jack, of course we do. We all want to follow God's plan. We don't want to go our own way. That's when Jack says to me, he says, the motivation's right, Lottie, but the question is flawed. 
I said, Jack, I've been asking that question my whole life. No one's ever told me that question's flawed. He says, listen, when you ask God what is his plan for your life, in a way you are putting yourself in the center of the question and Lottie, you will never be at the center of the question. He had my attention. I pushed back and I said, well, well, what are we supposed to do, Jack? How can we know God's plan if we're not asking him? And he said, you've got it. I said, what have I got? He said, you've just asked the right question. You didn't ask, God, what's your plan for me? You just asked the right question, which is, God, what is your plan? He said, Lottie, when you know what God's plan is, then you can use whatever resource, whatever gift, whatever talent, whatever voice, whatever you've been given in your life to simply get on board with his plan. You don't need to spend your whole life wondering, what is your specific plan for me? No, God's revealed his plan, Lottie. Get on board. When you know, if you're taking notes today, you can write this down. When you know God's plan, you also know God's plan for you. The freedom that comes with this revelation is, it just, it frees you because it's like, I'm not going to live my life stressing about getting God's plan for my specific life, the tight, no, I'm not going to live stressed by that. I'm going to, I'm going to lean into his revealed plan and I'm going to use my life to contribute to that. I am going to co-work with him. Doesn't that make a lot more sense that God calls us co-workers? Well, that's what we are on his plan. You know, this question then becomes the most important one to ask. God, what is your plan? And and the great thing about that question is it's easier to answer because all the way through scripture, God's revealing his plan. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 is where I'm going to reveal, uh, speak out of from today. But I'm telling you, this plan is revealed the whole way through Scripture. I just love how succinctly it's said here. Listen to Micah 6 8. He has shown you, O mortal. I love how it includes that bit. It's a reminder that you and I, we are not here forever. We have a time frame on this earth. And while we are here, he has shown you what is good. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, love mercy and walk humbly with your God. That is God's plan for us. That we would live this way. Now, you need to understand, this is not lived in chronological order. We don't start by acting justly. It's actually in ascending order, like uh, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. It's the same way. We start from the end and we naturally work our way back. What does that mean? It means we don't start with acting justly. We start with walking humbly with our God. The moment your life begins to walk humbly with your God, guess what you fall in love with? You fall in love with the mercy that you don't deserve. The more you know He is, who He is, the more you know who you are, the more you know who you are, the more you recognize your need for mercy. The more you realize what Jesus gave so that you could receive that mercy, the more you love it. 
And the more you love mercy, the more natural it becomes for a, in a desire for you to outwork your life so that others will receive it also. And that's what it means to act justly. To literally, the definition of acting justly means to live making things right. When God speaks about justice, he speaks about making things right. Or can I use this phrase? To live making things as God intends them to be. When you're made right by God, you live with a desire to make things right. When you live as he intends you to be, you live with a desire to make things as he intends them to be. Walking humbly, loving mercy, living a life that brings justice or makes things right. You know, you could almost just leave it there and just, that is, the, the intention of that word is that it would be simple for us to comprehend and then we would go apply it wherever God has placed us today. I'm just going to take the rest of this time to just dig a little bit deeper because I recognize that when you start think about, thinking about making things as God intends them to be and then you take one step out of those doors, you are confronted with almost everything that is not the way he intends them to be. And now you find yourself in this position again and go, well, what do I do with this? Where do I start? And for today's message, we are going to deep dive into that. And I just pray today that you're going to walk out of here, as I said, with a confidence for what you're called to do outside of these doors. There's a character in the Bible that's going to help us answer this question. His name's Nehemiah. I feel sorry for Nehemiah. He was the shortest man in the Bible. Nehi Maya. My kids also think I'm cool, Mark, so that's good. It's good to have that. The story of Nehemiah takes place about 500 years before Jesus came to the earth. Uh, it's about a man who takes on the role of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem after the people of Judah were exiled from there to the nation of Persia. 70 years they were there and then they return, they're released from the king and they return to their nation. As we look at this story, you need to know that Nehemiah was not one of those who returned to Judah. He stayed in the province that he was in in Persia and the reason why he stayed is because he had the highly honoured role of being chief cupbearer to the king. That doesn't just mean that he tasted the king's wine before the king drank it to make sure there was no poison. It meant that he had a constant ear with the king. He was in a position where his life was basically set for the remainder of his life and his generation. Everything in Nehemiah's life was how he wanted it to be. So he didn't need to go back. Well then, something happens to Nehemiah that completely rocks his world. And we're going to read it this morning in chapter 1, starting from verse 2. The first verse just talks a little bit about where he is. And then it says, Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. So the guys that are coming to visit him, family and friends, have been to where the Jews have gone back to. 
He says, I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. It was like he was jovial. It was like he says, oh, tell me about everyone. I haven't seen everyone in so long. They've gone back to freedom. They're no longer in captivity. How's it going? They said to me, verse 3, things are not going well for those who returned to, who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, Nehemiah says, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. I ask you this morning, have you ever had a my life will never be the same again moment? Have you ever had a moment where, the thing I find about these my life will never be the same again moments, they, they're never planned for. You don't, it's not like you put it in your diary and you say, oh, next Thursday at 10am I plan to have a my life will never be the same again moment. No, these my life will never be the same again moments, they come perhaps when you're least expecting it, a lot like it was for Nehemiah, his life is coasting in fact. He asks a simple question and the answer, which might have just rolled through your ears and mind as a part of the story, but for Nehemiah, they rock his world. Maybe it comes because you saw something that you then could not unsee. Maybe you heard something, some information. Maybe you had an experience or maybe you became aware of something somehow and instantly from that moment on you knew my life was lived one way before that moment, it'll never be lived the same again. When I was in my early 20s, I became a part of my student leadership team when I was sort of in my uh, teens, mid-teens, 15, 16. And as I was growing older, I just stayed in that lane and kept serving in that role. And in my early 20s, when I was working full-time, I was serving in the youth ministry still. And, and, uh, and I remember exactly where I was. It was early one morning and I was getting ready for work. And I got a phone call from the then youth pastor who was calling me to let me know that on the night that had just gone, one of the students that I was directly caring for in a small group discipleship sense, that young man's father had just taken his own life. As 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago, when I got that phone call, but I can still place myself where I was when I received it, what I heard, because from that moment, my life was never the same. It was like in that moment of tragedy, God chose to arrest my heart and make it clear to me that there was no other path forward for me except being a part of making things right or as he intends them to be in the space of working with young men. And now my eyes cannot lay on a, it can't fall on a young man who I can see is clearly making destructive choices without the emotion stirring in my heart and I have to hold back tears and I can't make that up for you but there is something in you that God has put there. There is something in each one of you that God has shaped in a certain way that you would hear things, see things, become aware of things and there would be something that rises up within you that says that is not acceptable. Yeah. Nehemiah has this moment 
where something moves in his heart. Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jericho has been... It's Jericho, wow. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. It does nothing in my heart. I actually read that scripture and I just read on. What happens in my heart and what happens in your heart, there is no, there's supposed to be no comparison in that. You're not supposed to feel drawn to something that is in my heart. You're just supposed to be aware of what God's put in yours. Nehemiah gets rocked to his core. When I heard this, I sat down. What does that mean? It literally means the strength was taken out of me. I was rocked to my core. I could not function in the way that I had previously functioned. I wept. For days I mourned. I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah is saying, I had a my life will never be the same again moment. All of a sudden, being the chief cupbearer to the king lost its glamour. All of a sudden, the pursuits of influence lost its desire. Friends, all of us live in a kingdom of this earth, but we're called to a kingdom of heaven. And there are some things that have got your desire today. And there are some things that are taking your energy today that are not eternal things. And if God can shift you today because of what he's put in your heart, they will also lose their allure to you. This wasn't just a temporary moment of sadness for Nehemiah. This was a moment where his heart was moved. I will never be able to tell you what God's specific plan for your life is, but I can tell you this. God has shaped you in such a way that certain things will move every single one of us. Why does God do this? Well, as revealed in the character of Nehemiah, when you allow God to move you in your heart, it always leads to being moved into action. So the simple question that I'm asking you today is you want to walk out of those doors knowing God's plan and purpose for your life? You can answer the question today. What moves you? God does not accept the way things are in this community as they are. He will not accept. That is unacceptable to him. So unacceptable that he sent his son. What moved God? people being separate from him he moved from heaven and all he's doing is saying church you're now here on this earth and i'm moving you the reason why knowing the answer to what moves you is such an important question is because when we know what moves us it gives us an insight into understanding the plan that god wants to outwork through us I know I'm just repeating the same thing over and over again. When you know what moves you, that's God showing you, hey, this moves you so that I can outwork something through you. That's why I said this wasn't just a sad moment from Nehemiah, for Nehemiah. After being moved in his heart, Nehemiah was moved into action. So what did Nehemiah do next? Well, maybe you know what moves you in your heart. 
And maybe you're asking the question, well, that doesn't mean the problems out there get any smaller. Still, what do I do next? It's all too big. What Nehemiah did next, and you'll have to read the remainder of the story. I'm not going to put time into reading it, but you'll see it when you read it for yourself. What he did next was Nehemiah used, and this is the principle, what was already in his hand to outwork what God had shifted in his heart. Nehemiah didn't throw away his responsibility as cupbearer to the king and say, right, that's ungodly. No, Nehemiah used what was in his hand to pursue what God had put in his heart. He used the position of cupbearer to the king as a resource. Isn't it incredible that God chose Nehemiah, the one who was so close to the king, to be the one who was moved in his heart this way because Nehemiah was positioned in order to get the resource from the king to complete the work. I don't know why God has positioned you where he's positioned you, but there's purpose in it. We spend a lot of time saying, if only this and if only that. We serve a God that loves the if onlys. Because what that does, if only, what we're saying, we're saying if only this, if only that. We're we're saying all of the barriers. God says, I love the barriers and I'll tell you why. Gideon will tell you why. Gideon will tell you why God loves the barriers. It's because God then gets to outwork something through you that you could never do, so he gets all the glory. When you are moved in your heart, it leads to being moved into action, and the next step is simply to look at what God has already put in your hand. What does that mean? It means what relationships has he given you already in the community? Where has he positioned you? In a workplace environment, where where are you right now and what do you already have? You may not see it this way, but you need to know this. God has already given you all the resources you need right now for what he's called you to do. And everything that you don't have that you will need is what he loves to provide as you step out in faith. If you already had everything that you think you need, then you wouldn't need faith. And if you don't need faith, you don't need him, which is why the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please him. God knows you. He knows me. He knows us well enough to know that if we can do it without him, we would. He also knows that whatever we do without him doesn't go well. He loves you and I that much that he will restrict what we have so that we need him more. Because God doesn't need you to do anything as much as he needs you to walk in an humble alignment with him. His restrictions are your greatest blessing. They will stop you thinking you can do it by yourself and you will be on your knees more than you ever have before. The most healthy place in God's plan and will that you can be is on your knees before him expressing a need. That used to worry me. Now I'm excited by the needs. All God is looking for is one thing from us. What's he looking for? He's looking for a heart that's willing to be moved and hands that are willing to be moved into action. 2 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. The scripture's not on the screen, so you can jot it down. It says, the eyes of the Lord 
search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God's eyes aren't searching the whole earth, looking for someone to smite, looking for your failures or your faults or the things that you haven't done in alignment with him. He's not, that's not what his eyes are looking for. He's searching the whole earth, looking for someone's heart who is surrendered. A willing and surrendered heart. And he says, oh, I'm going to put strength into that heart. Team can come and join me. I'm going to leave you with one thought as we land this this morning. And again, it just brings out something from Nehemiah that makes him one of my personal heroes. Now, when I look at Nehemiah, his story is so remarkably different to so many other heroes that I look to in the Word of God. Hey, you want to talk about heroes? We talk about Moses. We talk about Samuel, Gideon, Paul. You just keep rolling out the names. There was something about each of these people and many more that unites all of their experiences that Nehemiah had a very different one. And that is this. Every single one of those people that I just mentioned, I'm going to go through some of them, they had a miraculous encounter with God and that encounter instigated the movement. Moses heard the voice of God spoken from a bush that was on fire but not being consumed, got his attention, he wandered over there, and the Bible leads us to understand that God audibly spoke to him from there. I'm telling you, I know Moses did great things, but oh my goodness, I'm sure that if I had that kind of encounter, I would probably pursue God in a different way also. In fact, I grew up reading that, hoping that I would have that encounter. God, just send this bush on fire, but not consume it and speak to me, please. You've done it before, you can do it again. We sing that song, surely, come on. What about Gideon? He has an crazy encounter with an angel who then he negotiates his terms with. I'll only do this if you do that. I'm sure you've done that with God too. David, he doesn't have an encounter with an angel, but he gets anointed by the most prominent prophet in all of Israel at that time, and that leads to him becoming the next king. Isaiah testifies himself, I was worshipping in the temple and I saw God with my own eyes. Mary and Joseph individually have an encounter with angel who, angels who tell them what they're... Paul is riding on his donkey and gets knocked off his donkey by God, who then audibly, Jesus speaks to him and says, it's me, Jesus the Lord. I want all of those encounters except that one. Happy to go past the donkey one. Actually, I don't know. I, I, I take that back. I know lots of people would like to have encounters with angels, but every time someone has an encounter with an angel in the Bible, they are terrified. I just want the happy angels, right? Just give me those ones. On and on, you read through, you grow up reading the Bible. And on and on, you read. Someone does something incredible for God after having a miraculous encounter with God. And it can lead you to think that in order to do something significant for God, you've got to have this miraculous encounter with Him. Now, I'm telling you, I have had unbelievable moments where my spirit was filled and my heart was moved. But friends, the thing that I love about Nehemiah is that when you read about him, you discover that there is absolutely no record of God encountering him in an extravagant way. None at all. All there is with Nehemiah is a guy 
whose heart has been moved. And it's enough to move him into significant action. I'm not telling you for a second, don't pursue the encounter. Pursue it with all you've got. But friend, do not be someone that says, well, because God didn't speak to me through a bush. Or No, that's not us. We're people who have the Holy Spirit within us, which means our heart is available to be moved by Him. And a heart that is moved by God produces a life that's moved into action. My question to you today is, what moves you? There is something about the way God has shaped you that is directly connected to the way God intends to use you. All he's looking for today is a heart that is willing, a heart that is surrendered, a heart that says humbly, Lord, I know that I've been pursuing my thing, but I'm laying it all down as I pursue your thing. What's God's plan for you? God's plan for you is that you would join his plan for the earth. And that is that all of us would be walking humbly, loving the mercy. You know why that word in the middle, it's love mercy? Because this is not a chore, this is a delight. And that's what God, I believe, wants to do in each one of our lives today. Let me, let me pray for you. And then I might just ask for a moment where we respond to this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word to us today. I thank you for your word that meets us where we are at but never leaves us where we're at and then that's what your word is intending to do. And God, I pray that as you speak to every single one of us today and Lord, I know that there are so many people in this room whose hearts are willing, whose hearts are surrendered and have maybe, maybe been in a season where they've been asking the question, God, what is your plan for me? Lord, today I pray that eyes would be opened in a supernatural way to understand we've been called to be co-laborers on your plan for the earth. Lord, we take ourselves out of the center of this and we say, God, it's your plan that we are passionate about being a part of. And Lord, I pray specifically for those today that are got something in their hand that they've maybe been using to pursue the things that the kingdom of this world could provide. Lord, I pray for a revelation today to drop in every single heart to understand that every good thing that we have in this life is given to us to pursue the plan that you have for this earth. And that as we do that, you, Lord, are the one that will continue to provide all we need, both in our personal life and pursuit and in pursuit of your plan. God, I pray today that some people in this room would be reminded, even now as I pray, of a moment where you did give them a my life will never be the same again moment, but it's been part. God, bring that to the surface again today. Remind people of a phone call. Remind people of an experience, something they saw or heard or were a part of. Remind them today where you shifted their heart. And that again today there would be a stirring, Lord, that would not allow people to stay where they are, but hearts would be moved and lives would be moved into action. 
And that, Father, the community that's represented by this church now and beyond would, Lord, change in its shape because of people that are living, co-working with you in your plan for this earth to be made right. Would you just stand with me this morning? And I'm going to close. I'm going to hand over in one second. But I would love to pray for some people this morning. And I am going to, I'm going to call people to the front because I'm not going to walk around and pray for everyone out there. But I, w- I would love to be praying for people here today. And this is what I would say. The step between being moved into your heart and moved into action. And Nehemiah experienced it in those days where he sat and mourned and wept. Is actually surrender. It's an acceptance that you are going to lay down everything in pursuit of his cause. And if you're here today and you know that God is calling you to a new place of surrender, then I would personally love to pray with you and pray for you today. And I'm sure there are others in the team that will be a part of that as well. The reason why I say I'm calling you to the front as well is because, look, whatever whatever surrender is going to look like in here, it's going to look like a whole lot more out there. So we might as well take the easy step in here in order that we can take the larger step out there, right? If that's you today and you just know God stirred you with this word today, God moved you with this word today, then don't stay where you are. Respond to this word, respond to him, respond to his spirit and against start the journey or restart it with what he's called you to do. I'm going to leave you with that. If you'd like to respond, then I'm going to stand here and I'm going to be ready to pray. Otherwise, I'm going to hand it over to Joel. If you want prayer, come right now. Don't wait. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.